0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for joining me again on another week of the Saul Bookman Show. This is the eighth episode. Can you guys believe that as we come to you live from the Vivid Seats studio? Just a reminder, download that app, the Vivid Seats app. Put in promo code OVERTIME, especially if you're a new user and you can save yourself up to $100 Corey Williams from ESPN and Tucson locally will be joining me on the program to talk about the Wooden Legacy Tournament as the Wildcats dominated three games out there. A little dicey from time to time, but hey, it is what it is, right? Wildcats football has finally come to an end. We'll cross that bridge and Baylor, I think it's the first major test of the year for this Arizona basketball team. We'll talk about that matchup here coming soon, but first, a word from our sponsor. All right, welcome back. And as promised, joining me is Corey Williams, fresh out of the Wooden Legacy Tournament. Corey, how you doing, buddy? doing good man how are you fantastic fantastic uh let's 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 start somewhere else before we get into the wooden tournament and, and your thoughts on Arizona what has been your overall thoughts about this Wildcats team so far um in this early going especially when it comes to the schedule um you are you worried at all about them not being tested so much
1: not not so much because um, nobody knows who they are at this point in the season. Most teams are eight, nine, ten games in. You've got some teams that are going to be in the tournament that already have three, some even have four losses. You know they're going to end up being tournament teams, but they haven't figured things out yet. Um, then you've got some teams that are like Arizona that are solid teams, nine and oh. Are they going to go undefeated? Of course not. So, uh, you know, not being tested this far, it re- it doesn't matter. I think there's some games that Arizona can circle in the Pac-12 that they know they're going to be tested. But to be quite honest, every game on the road is going to be a tough out for, for teams in the Pac-12. So I'm not too worried about uh, – the level of competition they've played so far. What concerns me is, um, and I was talking with some coaches about that this weekend, this past weekend, the combination of media, the internet, fan bases and expectations that's a a new element that a lot of coaches are doing battle with because they know where their team is they know what they need to work on but sometimes the kids aren't getting the message or the kids don't have the confidence or maybe the kids are a little overconfident because there's so much of that now is a part of college basketball it literally is affecting the way coaches are able to coach their own kids.
0: That's a fantastic point. Uh, Now, when it comes to social media, obviously, you're a part of social media. You've taken part of it. Um, How do you think you would have done back in the day with this?
1: Well, you know, the funny thing about it is um there's a reality. I always use the word eventually. That's my favorite word. Eventually you're gonna have to play. So, you know, in that nineties Steve Rivera and guys could write nice articles in the Citizen and in the the Daily Star, but eventually you're gonna have to go out there and do something. And I was a person who, because of the coach I played for, Coach Lou Olson, he was so results oriented. It didn't matter what was being written. It didn't matter what was being said. It, the rivalries, all of that, all of those things melted away because he was so focused on statistics. Yes, we're playing ASU. But we need to out rebound them. We need to hold them under 35 percent field goal percentage. We need to make sure we don't turn the ball over. He didn't care about the theatrics. He focused on the stats. I don't know how I would fare. I, I'm not a person who can who's easily swayed by public opinion. Um, you got just as many people who will pat you on the back, and then you have people that will turn around and then stab you in the back. So for me, I never put much stock in the fan base and and all the hype but there are certain people who do. Um, Had I been a player in today's age, yeah, it's interesting to go on a website and see what somebody thinks of you in the mock draft and go into the chat rooms and see what people are saying about you. But at the same time, after a bad game, uh, I think a lot of these kids don't know how to turn that off. I was very fortunate uh, coming from the family I came from and playing for Coach Olsen. We just stayed focused on basketball. So uh, I but to answer your question honestly i just don't know
0: I really don't okay all right well i mean okay let's get let's back let's get back to the task at hand then at the wooden legacy tournament you you called several games out there uh and then you were able to just kind of sit back and watch Arizona because you didn't call any of their games what was your overall impression of this team
1: overall impression of this
0: team was that they're balanced they're balanced and I'll be quite honest you know
1: as, a, as, a, as an alum who's secretly pulling for the team all the time, I wanted to see them be balanced because it's hard to be a balanced team when
2: <clears throat>
1: you know Chase Jeter is good, you know uh, Zeke is good, you know Dylan Smith has emerged as a legit threat. Everyone has to scout him now. He was the main reason they were able to win, in my opinion. I I labeled him the X Factor before the season even started, but... Everybody needs to pay recognition that Dylan Smith's ability to knock down threes was such a huge cushion. It was literally giving Arizona breathing room. He made so many big shots, and it's been quite a while since Arizona's had a consistent shooter from the outside. So to see him step up and contribute that that's something a team has to prepare for. So when I watch Arizona, I look at it, I always look at a team from this standpoint. What does it take to beat this team? Well, sometimes you look at a team and it takes two things: you got to defend them in the post, and you got to make sure to, to um, turn them over. And those are the two ways. But when you want, what you really want as a team is you want to be very, very tough to beat. You want to have a team have to focus on multiple things in order to beat you. So when I see Nico get 20, and I see Jeter and the big fellas dominating the paint. When I see I really get buckets off the bench, when I see Dylan Smith hitting threes, when I see them playing with five or six weapons, it should give Arizona fans something to be excited about because now when you look at Arizona, it's like, what do you need to, what do, you need to do to beat them? Well, hell, you got to do six things. Now, there we've had Arizona teams where you only had to do two things to beat them. This is a team that is deep. It's balanced. It's going to take a lot to beat this team the way that they've been playing so far.
0: You mentioned Dylan Smith earlier. Uh, I agree with you. I think Dylan Smith played possibly his best three game stretch of his, his of his Arizona career. Uh, you know, would you agree with the assessment? This one of my things is, if you are going to go to the Final Four, which every Arizona fan hopes and dreams that the, their team is going to get to the Final Four, you need to be you need to be, have four or five solid guys, four or five solid. Like you can have three or four superstars, but you need to have at least five solid all around players that can produce at any given time that could even take over a game at any, any given time. Dylan Smith proved that he could do that. Who would be the one guy that you're hoping would step up and maybe be in that fifth kind of category?
1: You know, that's an interesting question. Um, that's a tough one. That really is a tough one. I think, you know, it, whatever you, whatever we get from Stone Gettings is going to be like, you know, icing on the cake. He's a very capable player. Um, but well, I remember sitting there watching the game last night and I was saying to myself, it's about matchups. And I noticed right away that that was not a game for Nico Mannion last night. And this is not a knock on him. It just wasn't. There was no one that he could defend with any consistency, and I will say this, Saul, and please make sure you put get this as a freshman. I'm not knocking him. There was not a defensive assignment for him out there last night. There was no way they were going to put him on Brandon so He would have got cooked. They had to hide him, and they had to put Dylan Smith on shoulders. But that's any freshman, saw. It's not a knock on Nico. It's just the way it is. When you come across good guards, and I thought Sean and the coaching staff did a great job, but what I loved about Nico's game was Nico did not back down. He kept playing. He, his confidence was really high. Yeah, it's a lot harder to score than it used to be in AAU. The, last night, and I was telling a, a buddy of mine I was sitting next to, last night was the most difficult game he had ever played in.
2: That
1: was the first time he was on the court where a lot of the guys on the court may have been better than him. But, I love his attitude. I love the fact that he was the hero two nights before, so he's gaining his confidence. But when you talk about who's going to step up and what it takes to get to the Final Four, here's what I believe. The only way you're going to win four games in the NCAA tournament is if you're a team that can get stops. You cannot trade baskets and hope to advance to the Final Four. I like Arizona's offense. I think it's pretty strong. But they get lulled into trading buckets with inferior teams. You cannot let a South Dakota State hang around. That was early in the season. I think they're a much better team than they were even two weeks ago, but my point is you have to put some distance between yourself and, and other teams by getting consecutive stops. Is this Arizona team going to develop into the kind of team that can put a lid on the bucket for four minutes while they go on an eight-zero run or a 9 run and put somebody away? I'm sitting next to a fan who remembered us from the 90s. He said, I really missed the blowout man we don't blow people out anymore, and I basically told them I said because a blowout the formula for a blowout is score some points while you lock somebody up it it, do, it it hasn't changed in forty years. get buckets and lock somebody up at the same time That's how you go on your little sixteen to two run and put the game away. What worries me about this club is they've got they they defend and contest. But they're not in love with defense yet. They're not jumping in the passing lanes for breakaway layups. They're not flying out from out of bounds like Derek Williams just to come over from weak side and sending shots in, blocking shots into the crowd. When they start to fall in love with turnovers, they are going to be a Final Four team. But they've got some work to do in that aspect.
0: I know a lot of people love... Nico Mannion, early on in his career, he's produced some nice highlights. He's got some really nice moves and ability. You can see that he's a legitimate point guard. Has he lived up to the hype in your own, by your own assessment? And I'm not talking about the fans, I'm talking about Corey Williams' assessment of guards nationally.
1: Nico Mannion is probably, well, well let me say this Nico Mannion is obviously one of the top freshmen in the country. That's just without saying, however, he he's probably one of the kids that's in the most unfair position that I've seen. And I don't know how long. Uh, sitting there, there was probably two dozen scouts there last night watching it from the league. They got him in the mock draft, going lottery, and he he's going to learn on the job on national television, which is incredibly difficult to put a, put any player in that situation. First time out, you got to maintain this level of excellence to keep up with this, with, the, with the, media, the media machine that's going. My personal assessment of Miko, I felt like okay, he's not going to be able to get the layups and the dunks. That's not going to happen. I knew that part of his highlight reel was not going to translate to college, but what I was extremely impressed with, his ability to hit the floater, his ability to create separation against guards that are bigger, stronger, more experienced than him, he still gets his jumper off. That's impressive because my whole question with Nico Mannion is, okay, is he going to be confident? Because I don't care how... talented you are if you're shook you're not going to do nothing if you get the ball taken from you a couple of times if you get a couple of fouls because you can't defend well and you miss a couple of shots it is easy for any first year player to shrink away and disappear for the rest of the game but what i'm most impressed with nico mannion he, he finds a way to get his shot off he he that it's almost natural the way he steps into the leadership role with this team And I don't know if that's because he's had a great relationship with Sean, and and Sean has been telling him, hey, it's on you. Don't hesitate. Do your thing. And he has the full support of the coaching staff. Because I can tell you this, Saul, running point at Arizona – is one of the toughest jobs in the country. That's right up there with, you know, the Dukes, the North Carolinas, all those top-tier programs. When you're a point guard at this school wearing this jersey, there's a lot of pressure that comes with that. He's got legitimate ballers that he has to involve in the game, and he still has to look for his own shot. And I was wondering, how is this freshman, who's never played at this level, going to do his thing? and make sure the team is balanced. And I got to tell you, I'm extremely impressed. He did a great job of it this past weekend.
0: Did anybody else surprise you out there? Uh, I was I was pleased to see Jeter play to his level.
1: I was worried that, you know, you know, maybe he was going to shy away because he, the physical bang game isn't really his style, but he didn't shy away. Sar for, for, uh, Wake Forest still had a big game. Um, but you know, I was, I was pleased to see Jeter step up and be physical. And I, the most impressive to me was Dylan Smith because I think he was overlooked. I think there weren't a lot of expectations. Um, with him, and then of course, you know, players not being available, players being released from the team in the recent weeks. There's been so much going on that there's a lot of, ex- he had a, a, a bunch of excuses as to why he didn't have to show up. Like, you know, oh, now you need me. But I think, uh, his consistency, and I talked to him after the game, um, actually, I talked to him before the tournament, and we had a few words that night at the banquet, and I told him what I wanted him to do. And, you know, I saw him after the game. And he was like, uh, you know, he came through and knocked down some shots. But his confidence is there. And I think, you know, he's enjoying being appreciated. He's enjoying being needed and being part of the mix. (laughs) because we use that that's an old phrase we used to use when we hoops. if you're not in the mix you know you're just on scout team and you're just a guy in a jersey but if you're in the mix and you're counted on to show up each night and help the team win that's a that's a really good feeling and he had a nice big smile on his face last night because he knows going forward they're going to run plays for him he'll be out there he can miss a couple of shots he can have a turnover he's got the confidence of the coaching staff they're not going to yank him out anymore so uh i think he he, he was, he to me was was along with Nico's performance. He was very
0: impressive. I, I, that's absolute truth, right there, Corey. I thought he did a fantastic job. Myself, I have been hard on that kid since day one. Uh, it always seemed like uh, he, it always seemed like he was he was a park player trying to figure it out. In a in an organized setting, and now it seems like it's all finally come together. Um, and, and, I, and I couldn't have been more more happy for the kid. Uh, to be honest, he, he's he-
1: no. You make a great point, and you wonder, was he playing with a Nico Mannion last year? No. And there it is. I mean, sometimes the addition of a ball hammer, and you know, I was a, a shooter at Arizona, and I never, I never, I never really understood. I mean, I never. I never failed to understand that my shots were a result of someone else. I had to go set a back screen for JB to pop out and shoot. I had to go set a screen for Damon to pop out and shoot. I had to stand in the corner over here while Miles ISO'd to get my shot. I knew exactly where my shots were coming from. When you have consistent guard play, you can kind of scheme on how to get your buckets. And now that somebody else is doing all the ball handling, somebody else is doing the pick and rolls, Somebody else is creating the action. All he's got to do is move to the line, toe it, and he's got the green light now. So I'm glad to see him. You know, Maybe that little bit of change of personnel has opened up his game. I think you might be right.
0: Uh, a couple more uh, questions here for Corey Williams, who's joining us. Uh, Early impressions across the country. uh, Sorry, early impressions (laughs) across the country. Uh, Anybody stand out nationally uh, that you've been kind of keeping your eye on and and you're kind of impressed by them from afar?
1: I like Louisville, and I'll tell you why I like Michigan. I don't necessarily like Michigan because there's You know, top to bottom, can't beat your talent. Uh, I like Michigan because they're inspired. Juwan Howard uh, has caught lightning in a bottle. He's got guys that are playing a level or two higher than they should be, and Michigan is going to be tough. I think Duke getting beat at home. I think Kentucky getting embarrassed at home. Those two teams have shown that they're not as good as people think they are. We're going to get a real close look at St. Mary's this weekend. I've got them up at the uh, Jerry Colangelo Classic in Phoenix. We're going to see how some of these mid-majors stack up, but the the thing overall... And I always say this, and I know it's not a popular opinion, but the top 25 before Christmas, it's all smoke and mirrors. Nobody knows who's 1 through 25. And the kids, every year, they come out and they prove that most of these adults don't know what they're talking about. You got teams ranked that shouldn't be ranked. You got teams getting beat by mid-majors. And then the funny thing about it is you take, like, Evansville, they knocked off Kentucky, and they're 1-4 They've lost three in a row. So one night you win at Kentucky and then you lose three games in a row to teams. Nobody's ever heard of. And that's why it's March madness. But I think right now, um, There's a couple of teams that are going to be legit. I think North Carolina is going to be good. You know, Duke, Michigan State will all stay in that top ten, especially when they break off into conference play. I think Louisville is a little bit stronger than, than, than those two teams. And I think Arizona and Oregon will represent the West Coast. I like Utah Valley. Utah is going to fall into that sweet spot here in a couple of weeks, where they start playing conference ball, and they're going to rack up a bunch of wins. And I don't, people won't know what to make of them, you know, because their non-conference isn't extremely difficult, so they can end up with twenty, twenty-five wins, and people go, oh, Utah Valley. So, I mean, there's going to be a couple of decent teams on the West Coast: the Zags, the Ducks, Arizona um, will all be will all represent the West Coast pretty well. But I think um, maybe Utah valley slides in there, but that should probably be it.
0: All right, all right. I think it's kind of funny that you brought up Michigan and Jawan Howard because uh, you know we, we earlier we talked about the non-conference schedule and uh, you know my fear that maybe it's too weak. And I understand you said that uh, that you didn't you didn't really believe that, and, and it's it's more of the fact that you know they're they're still trying to find their way, kind of thing. And I just want to bring up the fact that when you went to the 1994 Final Four that season, you guys played. Number five, Kentucky. Number seven, Michigan. Number eight, Oklahoma State. Number 18, Boston College. <laughs> and number 25, Marquette in the non conference yep. schedule.
1: And that was a that year is. after we lost our we lost our first round. Chris Mills and Ed Stokes had gone. We didn't have an established big man. Joseph was just a sophomore. Rayos was a junior. Um, we were led by two guards, and you know we took our lumps. We we grew up, and that was probably the reason we ended up going to the Final Four.
0: Um, I mean, the only loss on that on that schedule is a ninety two ninety three loss in the. I assume that's the Ma- yeah it is the Maui Invitational uh, to number five Kentucky. Uh, yeah,
1: number five, Kentucky. last second tip. Yeah. We had yeah. them on the ropes. They tipped it in at the buzzer, and we we didn't get the win. And honestly, that loss fueled everything else because we was we knew we could play with anybody. Kentucky was coming out there with all the hype that you know comes with Kentucky, and we went to war with them. And heck, we had some guys that were injured. I rolled my ankle. We had a couple other guys that were not under the weather, and we still played them down to two to two points. But um, <laughs> what happens now? Unfortunately, is because media looms so large from the coaches to the athletic directors, even all the way up to the president they are all trying to manipulate the narrative. They're trying to get creative with the scheduling. They're trying to create a a void situation that will will come back to haunt them when the selection committee comes around. See, back in our day, and I'm officially old because I said back (laughs) in our day, it was just what you said. Who did you play? What were the results? Even had we lost five of those games, we're still Arizona We went out and played some real teams. We're getting in the tournament. There wasn't this whole media narrative of we've got to do the work on paper. Then we've got to have a PR campaign so that the selection committee smiles on us. No, You just do the work they crunch the numbers you get your seed and you show up and you play but now you got coaches looking at who's on the roster building their schedules two three years out so that they know okay this is the year where we're going to be in the top 25 and get 25 wins and hopefully go to the tournament because we built it this way i mean i talk to the sids all the time and it's, it's hilarious to me I call asking for, you know, a printout of the stats. And instead, what I get is 25 pages of of Ernest Hemingway, you know, about the program. I don't need to read that. I'm going to come watch you guys play, and I'll make my own decision on how you guys are. But Everyone's trying to shape their own narrative, and they're doing everything except what needs to be done on the court? So I think it's it's funny that you mentioned that because we did used to just go out and play whoever we had to play, but right now you saw that with Saint Mary's not getting the tournament last year. I mean, they had a nice record, they had a lot of height, but the selection committee was like, nah, you ain't play anybody. It is what
0: it is. Any parting thoughts, Corey? I know, I know. There's been a relationship. You, you mentioned Joseph Blair earlier, and his mom passed away this week. Um, what, what, did you have a, a pretty good relationship with her? And what were your overall thoughts uh, about that, uh, Judith Blair? She's she's a, a very. Um, she was one of the kindest people I've ever met, and uh, I know she affected a lot of people in, in such a positive way.
1: You know, it was it was interesting because. I- I'll tell this story, I don't think JB will mind. But um, our freshman year, um, you know, JB—I didn't—I met him. I didn't know much about him. I didn't know much about his personal life. I just knew that he was from Houston, Texas, and he was from the rough part of Houston. He always would tell us, you know, fifth ward ghetto boys and all. So he was Houston, Houston, Houston. <laughs> So I, he tells his mother's coming to visit. So I'm expecting just, I, you don't even want to know what I'm expecting. But here comes this woman with this big smile on her face. The nicest, sweetest woman you ever want to meet. Now, JB's got the bald head, the tattoos, and he's all thugged out from Houston. And then you meet his mother, (laughs) who instantly becomes like the dorm mother for all of us. And I'll never forget, she was so proud of JB. She comes to Tucson, her first time, she hit McHale Center and was an instant rock star. And I joke JB about this to this day. His mother had a personalized number 50 sweatshirt. It was all with sequins. Had the number 50 all in sequins. And on the back, it said, I think it said, Joseph's mom on the back. <laughs> so everyone in the field knew she was Joseph's mom. She was so proud of her baby boy. And it was, we gave JB hell about that because we all, you know, that's what you do in college, you make fun of each other. But to see his mother drive all the way out from Houston and be so proud of him, and, uh, you know, just from that moment on, she was our favorite. I mean, every time you saw her, she had a big hug and a big smile. And then to hear about all the people and, she she made Tucson her home. She was she's a she's a celebrity in this town. Um, her her activities, her the the causes she was involved in, the, the speaking engagements, the way she motivated people. Um, she just was amazing. And that was just funny because you know um, I know some people. You know JB. You know he, it was him, his brother, and his mom. And I always felt like man, that's a real small family. But boy, she loves her family and she has such she has such a big personality. It's like having four parents enrolled into one. But uh, sweet sweet lady and um I mean at his camps helping him out. Um, but then she really got attached to Tucson and she made Tucson her home and, and I was just devastated. I I landed in LA for the tournament and I, you know, turned my phone back on and that's when I got the news and I just couldn't believe it because I just saw him a couple of weeks earlier. But she definitely will be missed and um, you know when you when you know a guy, you're friends with a guy for over 25 years. His mom is your mom and you just feel a you feel an incredible loss and that's you know really all I can say.
0: Well, I appreciate you sharing that that moment and that memory um, with me and with uh, with everybody that's listening right now, a special woman. Uh, but Corey Williams, hey, uh, good luck for the rest of the season. I'm sure we're going to catch up to you uh, probably next month again and find out where this Arizona basketball team is in relation to everybody else. Uh, right now, the number 12 overall team. And this Saturday, they got no joke of a game. They're going to Baylor and uh, taking on Waco. And, Corey, I appreciate your time today. Well, we're saving. All right, buddy. Arizona football is finally over, and it was a rough season. Four and one to start. They finish up the season not so hot, losing seven in a row, and finally, uh, when you thought, hey, maybe they can pull the upset against ASU on the road, up 7-6 to six at, the, at the half. Again, just like so many times this season, they just could not come through. And they fell apart at the worst, worst pop possible moment. And uh, so here we are. Here we are talking about a team who, uh, whose program is in flux. Dave Hickey says that uh, head coach Kevin Sumlin's job is not on the line. That's, that's good. million is a lot of money. You might as well save another five and maybe go through another year of hell. Who knows? I don't know what's going to happen with this team. I, I would like to give a shout-out to J.J. Taylor, uh, someone who every single game he, he came ready to play. You never had to doubt that. That young man uh, hopefully will have a bright future in the National Football League. I think he has the athletic ability and the quickness to be a specialist and a, and a nice guy out of the backfield for, for some lucky team. And uh, I, I wish him nothing, nothing but the best. And a lot of these guys are going to come back next year, and hopefully, hopefully something can change. Uh, hopefully, Kevin Sumlin can turn this program around. I'm going to say this right now it, it doesn't look the greatest. I know a lot of you are despondent about this football team. I know a lot of you were looking forward for the season to end, but who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? They're going to replace their defensive coordinator. Who knows if Chuck Cecil will stay on board? Who else might be in tow? Who might be coming down the pike? We have no idea. And then to make matters interesting, Chris Peterson retires at Washington, and so they replaced, them, replaced him already. And uh, who, I don't know where he's going to go. He says he's going to just retire and, and, and be with family. USC is a team that's looking for a head coach, I'm sure, even though they haven't fired Clay Helton. But we, come on, we all know that's going to happen, right? We all know that's going to happen. It's uh, it's just an interesting time right now in the Pac-12. And uh, this Arizona football team had a, had a good start to the season. Hey, bright side, here's a positive. That Hawaii game didn't really matter. <laughs> uh, I'm crying inside, people. I, I really am. The Hawaii game didn't matter at the end of the day. Four and eight on the year and uh, a lot of changes coming down the road, I'm sure, uh, inside the staff and uh, who knows after that, after next season, could Kevin Sumlin be gone? I don't know. It's definitely going to depend on how how he rebounds from this awful, awful year. Khalil Tate's career comes to an end and uh, he had a lot of yeah, you know, he had a lot of a lot of ups and downs in his career. I think that's the best way to put it. Specifically, we all remember the four game stretch that was unbelievable. I mean, one of the best and most exciting players in the country at that point. And then we know about a lot of the downs. Uh, especially this season, unable to really complete passes, uh, un- unable to really find his groove, uh, no running lanes. It's just, it was just a tough, tough deal for that young man. Hopefully he, he gets the kind of guidance that he needs moving forward, he gets the kind of advice that he needs moving forward, and if he's going to continue to play football, hopefully he can find somebody that can take advantage of his unique skill sets and uh, use them at the next level. Who knows? We never wish anything bad on any young man that wears the red and blue. Uh, That'll never happen on this program. Um, I know from time to time we get emotional and we hate uh, seeing our guys do so poorly out there. But at the end of the day, these are young men who put it all on the line to represent the Wildcats and this university. And I think that's, that's to be commended. No matter who you are, no matter what your role was, no matter how... Effectively, you, um, you really carried out your duties on whatever playing surface. I think everybody that dons that U of A gear uh, has to represent and did everything they could to represent. And I don't think we see the behind the scenes enough to know how much these kids really have to go through. And although they couldn't perform on the field uh, in certain games, in certain moments, That doesn't mean that it wasn't for a lack of trying. And so, for that, I thank Khalil Tate, I thank JJ Taylor, and all the other uh, seniors who put it out there for this university. Uh, Too bad they ended up at four and eight, but hopefully they all have bright futures and got their degrees on the way out the door. So, uh, kudos to those gentlemen there. And uh, up next, we're going to get into Arizona basketball. And specifically, we're going to talk about this Baylor matchup. It's going to be a fantastic one. Stick around. We have an interesting matchup coming up in Waco this weekend, Saturday, as the same Baylor Bears team that came in to McHale last season and essentially dominated, especially in one particular area, and that would be on the glass. They absolutely murdered the Wildcats last year on the glass 51 to 19. So, a year later, new teams on both sides essentially, and uh, it's a brand new matchup. Three freshmen on. On one side, with Nico Mannion and Josh Green, and obviously Zeke Naji, and on the other side, you got some some players that have stepped up, that have transferred into the program for Baylor, and uh, let's get into that. All right, so Baylor preview last year, 58 to 49 loss. Obviously, Arizona had 19 rebounds. Baylor had 19 rebounds on the offensive side of the ball alone. That's how bad this Wildcats team got dominated last year. And uh, you, that can't happen again. Uh, guard Mark Vital uh, had 17 of those boards by himself. He almost single-handedly out-rebounded the entire Arizona basketball team. Um, he's gonna, He's back this year. He uh, is not playing as well as he did a year ago and as as not as much a factor as he was a year ago for this Baylor Bears uh, team, but he is on the team. And I I, I will say this, and I'll probably repeat this several times. Baylor as a team is one of the best rebounding teams in the country from top to bottom. Every man on their roster goes to the boards, period. So he. That's one key uh, stat that you're going to be wanting to pay attention to when it comes to this weekend. Uh, Outside of that, the biggest difference between last year and this year, they have better guard play. And last year they had a pretty good guard in Makai Mason who dominated the the Wildcats. Wildcat guards could not match up with, with him. He had 22 points. He had seven rebounds. Uh, He was one of the main guards that did dominate, besides Vital on the boards. And uh, Makai Mason is not there this year. But that doesn't mean it gets any easier. They have two guards that are outstanding. And they showed how outstanding they were in their last game against Villanova. Jared Butler and Macy Oteague. Those two are dynamite. Uh, Butler is the leading scorer. He played a little bit uh, last year against U of A, like a couple minutes, I think five altogether, but he didn't really do much, uh, nothing really to talk about. But this year, he had 18 against UW, and he had 22 in their recent win against Villanova. He uh, can shoot the three very, very well. Matter of fact, he shoots 52% from three-point range, just a dominant, dominant guard, and he's going to wreak havoc on this Arizona defense if they can't defend the three better than they did in the Wooden Legacy Tournament and essentially all year long. That is going to be a huge point of emphasis for Sean Miller this week. Uh, In addition to that, fouls fouls are going to be another issue and you can't foul Butler because Butler is a perfect 17 for 17 on the year so far. So he's shooting 52% from 3, he's shooting 100% from the free throw line. He can he can drive, he can shoot, he can pass, he can rebound um, just like anybody else on this team. So that is one particular guard you're going to have to keep an eye on. You're going to have to take uh, you know have a, a concerted focus on the entire game. The other one, Macy O'Teague. Macy O'Teague might have the ugliest jumper since Sean Marion. Um, he's got a very kind of push shot, but it is effective. And he himself is shooting forty-three percent from three-point range. Butler averages a little bit over nineteen points a game. Teague averages a little bit over fifteen. Those are their two main scores, and they're both guards. Either one of them can handle the ball coming up the court. It, It is imperative for this Arizona team to keep an eye on where they're at at all times and really, really focus on closeouts because if they don't close out, they'll either get drilled by the three or if they close out too fast, they'll just go right around them and and score at the hoop and they can drive for sure. like I said, uh, and Teague is no slouch from the free throw line. He's only missed two all season. Both of them have taken 17 shots. Teague is the only one to miss any, and he's made 15 of 17 on the year. Um, another guy that you're going to want to pay attention to down low, Freddie Gillespie. He's their pretty much their best defensive player. Leads them in blocks. Leads them in steal or second in steals. Uh, but he also leads them in rebounds with eight on the year. Uh, good all around defender. So keys for the Wildcats this this weekend on Saturday as they head to Waco. You gotta defend the three and you gotta block out. Sounds simple, sounds elementary. Those are the two keys that have to happen this weekend. They have to defend the three and they have to block out. You can't get beat on the boards. You just can't. If you get manhandled like you did last year, you have no chance of winning in Baylor in Waco. There's just no chance. You have to block out. Find a man, block out. Whether you're in man or if you're in zone, block out. Out did I mention? Block out. You have to block out. Block out Arizona. If you don't block out, you Arizona. <laughs> I hate that. By the way, can we mention how awful that you Arizona thing is? Anyway, I'm not going to go on a tangent. Um, you have to defend the three better than you have all season. Zeke Naji had double digits in scoring. Uh, and rebounding this weekend in the Wooden Legacy, but maybe he set the bar too high. It felt like he kind of disappeared from time to time, wasn't as effective as he usually is, uh, and I hope he plays bigger uh, like he had in the early part of the season at Baylor. I think he's going to be a key difference maker. Uh, they didn't have him last year. I think the boards, for that reason, will not be as uh, awful in in such a disparity this time around. And you can't get into foul trouble. Arizona has been in foul trouble several times. A couple key guys getting three, four, five fouls at crucial times of the game. Got to make sure you stay out of foul trouble. Baylor as a team shoots 73% overall. Can't, can't put them to the line because they will come through. So you got to make sure that you, uh, you know, play solid defense, keep your hands up, move your feet and be in position more than anything, be in position. Now, three guys, the three freshmen, they have to produce, they have to produce. This isn't, this isn't a game where they can kind of disappear like they did against uh, wake. They have to produce. Um, I thought Josh green was excellent. Um, everywhere outside of scoring i thought he was fantastic against wake forest he was a hustle player got a lot of rebounds did a lot of the little things that it takes to win ball games he was fantastic in that area all three of them need to score all three of them need to play outstanding defense and all three of them need to play a solid all-around game i'm looking for 35 points and 15 rebounds combined from those three freshmen i think that'll set arizona up for success and then obviously the rest of the team's going to have to chip in um, you know the uh, the other part Of this equation, I'm expecting a a game somewhere in the 60s to 70s, and uh, you know I think if that's the case, I think Arizona is looking pretty good because Arizona, though they can score, I don't know if this team is a a shootout type of team because you just can't go back and forth with a team that can out rebound you like that. So now if Arizona out rebounds Baylor, they're going to win the game. I have no doubts about that. If they out rebound Baylor, they will win the game. If they don't, they're going to be in trouble. So, um, and you need a contribution from one of these three players Dylan Smith, Jamal Baker, or Ira Lee. You need at least 10 plus points from one of those three. You need so that that would that would key us into they're having a great ball game, right? Uh, 10 points, maybe even 10 rebounds combined, but you need. You need one of those three guys to really show up and show out and have a solid game. Other than that, I think that's it's going to be a good ball game. It's going to be an exciting ball game. I think this is there. This is really this is Arizona's only true road test of the non-conference, and it'll be exciting. It'll be an exciting ball game. I think the Waco crowd understands what's going on. uh, Baylor is ranked, I think, 18th right now. Arizona, number 12. It's a big ball game, big non-conference ball game. And uh, Arizona should be prepared to go into battle. And uh, I would expect them to come out with a victory. It's not going to be easy. I wouldn't be surprised if they lost. But... I think this is one of those games where Arizona kind of cements its hold back into the top 15 of this country, possibly top 10, if they can beat Baylor on the road and say, hey, yeah, we're here, we're back, and we're for real. Uh, so I'm excited to see this game. I know you all are excited to see this game. I'd like to thank Corey Williams for joining us on the program today. We uh, we had a, a fantastic time talking to him about this Arizona basketball team and and teams around the country And uh, as you heard here, this Baylor game should be exciting. Uh, We'll get we'll be back next week with some more, uh, including a recap on this Baylor game and a look ahead to uh, the Gonzaga matchup, which I know everyone is really excited about next week. So until then, take care of each other and have a good weekend.